You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Today's message is, uh, in a way, about being empowered by the Spirit of God to do good works, uh, about how we're not and never meant to live this Christian life in our own strength. And so I'm excited about that. When, you know, coming back from vacation, I'm on, a, I'm on a high note. I always want to come back with a nice, exciting, you know, positive message, you know. But uh, fortunately, or I guess unfortunately, I don't know how everyone interpreted it. This is going to be a hard-hitting message this morning, I think, and I think it'll be good for us. Um, but this is Paul's continuing our argument to the Galatian church that true life in God is not gained by doing, but by believing through faith. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And it's a message that, that we, have, we as Christians, we have, we've heard hundreds of times before. Right? We, we've heard this message so many times. But the reality is that it's a message that we need to continue to hear and receive with both rejoicing and, and also with sober self-examination as well. As it says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are standing in faith. Test yourselves, for you should know yourselves that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So, so I invite you to, to turn with me now to Galatians 3, 10 to 14, and we'll, we'll read through it and, and use this passage this morning as kind of our, our spiritual litmus test. Uh, again, this is, this is Paul writing to the Galatian church and reminding them that life in Christ can and should only be lived out in the power of the Spirit by faith. So Galatians 3, 10 to 14, if you want to turn with me. All right, Galatians 3, 10 to 14. The Apostle Paul speaking to the Galatian churches. He says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. I was going to pray again. Heavenly Father, it is so great to be here this morning, to be able to gather together with your people in your church, in your presence, Lord, to go through your word. Lord, I pray that, that you, would, you would use your word this morning to, to change us, to challenge us, to bring conviction, to bring healing, to draw us closer to you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Since my, again, since my family just came back from vacationing at Disney World, we, we, yeah, woohoo, uh, we, we went on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride a bunch of times, and so Audrey and I were feeling nostalgic when we came home, and so we were already feeling nostalgic, like two days in. And so we, we decided to watch the movie Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Yeah, anyone fans? Used to be fans? There's like three people. 
I'll, I'll admit it. Come on, there's more of you, I know. But whatever. It's a fun movie. Um, for those of you who haven't seen that movie, only three of us have, I guess. Uh, basically, the premise is that, that some pirates stole a bunch of Aztec gold and soon found out the hard way that, that a curse had been placed on it. Whoever stole it would become and remain undead until every coin was returned. Right? And there's more to the story than that, obviously. But my point is that when, when, when we think of the word curse, I think that's often how we might interpret it. I think it's easy to read this passage in Galatians and, and mistakenly think that the Apostle Paul is implying that some magic Harry Potter hex or some pirate gold curse will come upon us if we don't heed his warning. And, and to be fair, this verse does read like he's talking like a pirate. In fact, that's how I often read it in my head. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll just say it out loud for you right now. Um, Arr, cursed. <laughs> Not yet. Don't laugh yet. Arr, <laughs> Arr, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. Right? <laughs> Pretty good, right? It sounds like he's talking like a pirate. Um, but alas, this isn't how Paul's talking here. This isn't what Paul, Paul means here or in chapter 1 when he refers to, to uh, people being accursed. Nothing, nothing so entertaining, I guess. But, but it is a life and death matter, however, what he's talking about. And, and it should actually be alarming for us. Um, I say that because this message is written not to the unchurched, but to those who confess to be Christians. That's who he's talking to to those who confess to be Christians. So th- this is certainly a warning for us to examine ourselves and ask, you know, are we still living under the curse of the law or are we living by the Spirit in freedom? Are we still living under the curse of the law or are we living by the Spirit in freedom? It's a warning which says that those who rely on the works of the law, or in other words, what he's referring to is legalism or... Um, I lost, lost my spot here. Legalism or performance or, or self-righteousness or, or on our own strength. He's saying those, those people are, are under a curse. And in the Bible, to be cursed is the antithesis of being blessed. Okay, so where being blessed is the original purpose of God's covenant with Abraham, cursed is its direct opposite. God's blessing, Paul writes, which was promised to Abraham and to his descendants, it comes to us by faith in Jesus. And from this passage, we, we learn that, that to be blessed is to know God and be filled by his spirit. That's blessing. To be cursed, then, we can assume, means to be apart from God and under his judgment, as, as was displayed repeatedly in the Old Testament. Right When the Israelites turned from the Lord in their disobedience, they were eventually sent into exile. And this isn't because God is a big meanie or whatever, right? Actually, his grace and his mercy was, was on display before and after those exile events. But rather, this status of being cursed is, is really just the natural effect and state when we turn from God. That's what Paul's warning the Galatians of here. He's telling them that, that if, they start, if they begin to turn back to their religious legalism, they're, they're placing themselves back under the curse of the law. If we choose to rely on our works, we're choosing to be judged by them. Right? So, and to make matters more poignant, Paul reminds us that the, the law of Moses, it can't save us anyways. 
And we're going to learn more about this next week. But basically the law of Moses that God gave to his people was never meant for that. It was never meant to save. But as we've I mentioned in previous weeks, some, some former Jews who confessed to be believing Christians, they had come into these Galatian churches and had started convincing the believers there, especially the Gentile ones, the non-Jewish ones, that even though Jesus saved them, they would agree with that. But then they added to it. They said in order to continue in and live in God's blessing, they still had to follow the law of Moses. So from their point of view, it's Jesus plus the law of Moses that brings us into God's blessing. Jesus plus legalism. Jesus plus works that brings us into God's blessing. And Paul obviously disagrees with that. But yet we can't misunderstand Paul here in his rebuttal to them. He's not saying that the law of Moses is bad. He's not saying the law of Moses is bad because it's not. All scripture is is useful for teaching and correction. Those are Paul's words. Rather, again, he's arguing here that this wasn't ever the purpose of the law of Moses. Even if we could live it out perfectly, which we can't, but even if we could, it was never meant to save us. It was never meant to make us righteous before God because it it can't change our hearts. It can't fix our sinfulness. But rather, it was ultimately given to reveal our need for a Savior. To show us that without a Savior to atone for our sin and make us righteous, we can't measure up to God. In other words, so so Judaism and the the law of Moses was never meant to be the kind of legalistic religion that people like these Judaizers or some Pharisees had made it out to be. So with or without the law, Paul argues, following God was always meant to be through faith. Faith. As Paul quotes from Habakkuk in uh, Galatians 3.11, when he says, Now it is evident, he's saying it's obvious, that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So the law was never given to atone for our sins. It can't. It can't make us justified before God. It can't give us a spirit. Rather, we're only justified by God through faith, he's saying. Salvation from sin comes only through faith. The blessing of God comes only through faith. The spirit of God comes only through faith. Again, it's been that way since Abraham, since before the law was even given in the days of Moses. And we can, we can point our finger at these, these Judaizers and say, oh, how Dare they distort the gospel of Jesus this way by preaching a gospel of legalism and works. But the, pro- the problem is that, that we're often just as guilty as them within the church, aren't we? We often place ourselves and, and others back under the curse of legalism and works. You know, as, as humans, whether in our pride or, or in our insecurity, we often have a tendency to take God's commandments and, and turn them into our, our checklist or our rule book. Right Where we start placing the confidence of our own salvation and the status of our Christianity as well as the status of others in how well we follow these rules. Warren W. Wearsby, a theologian, asks, what, what is there about legalism that, that can so fascinate the Christian that he will turn from grace to law? For one thing, legalism appeals to the flesh. The flesh loves to be religious to obey laws, to observe holy occasions, even to fast. 
Certainly there's nothing wrong with obedience or fasting or solemn times of spiritual worship. But the flesh loves to boast about its religious achievements. The person who depends on religion can measure himself and compare himself with others. Went to church, check, right? Gave some money, check. Gave a little more money because I saw Bob put an extra 20 in, check, right? Sang a worship song, checked. Pointed out the, the errors of other Christians that puffed myself up, check. Read my Bible, check. Volunteered, check. Said the Lord's Prayer, check. Done and done, right? Hey, everyone, look how good I look. Isn't that often our attitude? Some of you, you may have noticed online that, that these days it's uh, popular for former Christians who have left the faith to share their deconversion stories. And, and I've read some of them. And, and, in, and most of the ones I've read, they usually express how it felt freeing for them to leave Christianity. Whenever I read that, it, it becomes instantly apparent, uh, to me anyways, that, that they never knew Jesus or lived in the blessing of God. Because if living out your Christianity feels overwhelming, or feels joyless, or feels like slavery, or feels like a burden, you're not living out Christianity at all. You're living out and relying on a works-based religion that's masquerading as Christianity. You're living under the curse of the law. You're carrying the burden of legalism. You're wearing yourself out trying to follow the set of rules that can't save you from your sin. Rather, the righteous shall live not by works, but by faith. But faith in what? Well, certainly not the law, Paul argues when he writes in verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. In other words, legalism about faith, it's about doing. It's about relying on what I can do on my own. So, if, But if the righteous live by faith, then we have to ask them, faith in what or who? And faith, Paul argues, is, is faith in Jesus. It's faith in Jesus. Verses 13 to 14, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We have to understand what's going on here. In, in, in the days after Moses, the Jewish people didn't, didn't hang dangerous criminals. Uh, they stoned them to death. But in cases of extra shameful violation of the law of Moses, they would sometimes hang the body on a tree for a short time to expose them for everyone to see. This is, you know, in our day, we can't understand that, right? We, we look back, we're like, what? But that's what they did. And this is obviously a very great humiliation because in most cases, Jewish people respected the dead, even criminals. But this is what Paul's referring to when he quotes in Deuteronomy 21:23, which says that cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's what he's referring to. And this happened to be one of the very verses which should cause Paul to, you know, previously reject Jesus before his conversion. He couldn't believe in a Savior who, who certainly must have been cursed since he was hung on a tree. So he didn't, he didn't get that. But now 
he understood why. He understood that at the cross, on that tree, Jesus bore the curse upon himself in our place. Jesus displayed to us on that tree that the law was always meant to point us to a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. He himself proclaimed this to some Pharisees, uh, as is recorded in John 5, 39 to 40. And Jesus says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. In other words, you're following the law legalistically because you think that'll save you. Then he continues, but it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So in conclusion, that the law of Moses points us to Jesus and Jesus alone paid the price of our sin by taking the curse for us. That's, that's what the word redeemed means. It's equivalent to someone paying the price for, for a slave to be set free. I saying through Jesus, we're no longer slaves to the law and the curse of sin. Jesus purchased our redemption through the shedding of his blood by becoming a curse for us at the cross. So, so as we come to Jesus in faith then with humble repentance and confession, as we abide in him, that's when we're set free from the curse of the law. We're set free from legalism. And we get to know the blessing of God and the power of his Holy Spirit within us. And from that place, we can walk in obedience and in good works. Because we're still meant to walk in obedience. But it only starts and continues in faith. The righteous live by faith. And, and Paul's going to get to this, this subject in more detail in the last third of his letter when, 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 he, when he talks about the fruit of living by the Spirit instead of the law. But the point here is that life in God is found through faith in Jesus Christ alone. As Wiersbe again writes, the Judaizers wanted to seduce the Galatians into a religion of legal works, while Paul wanted them to enjoy a relationship of love and life by faith in Christ. Or as it says in 1 John 4, 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. The righteous live by faith. I was uh, talking with my wife this week. We were talking about how the kids downstairs in Kidsgate are, are going to be learning about the story of when Jesus visits uh, the home of, of the two sisters, uh, Mary and Martha, who are the sisters of Lazarus. Uh, Audrey was trying to come up with an activity that, that related to it that the kids could learn from, and, and I was absolutely no help at all. She came up with something, which is great. That's not my forte. But as we were discussing this story of Mary and Martha, I realized that this passage would, would, would help me and all of us as a good you know, practical example uh, for this message this morning. So I just want to read through that right now. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. 
But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So right off the bat, we can, we can see the contrast between the two sisters. Right? Martha, the oldest, has, has burdened herself with work. But Mary, the younger sister, decided to sit at Jesus' feet, to take, take that opportunity that she had to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching. So in Mary, we, we see what faith looks like. We see what faith is. It's to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's to abide in him and listen to him and place our focus and trust on him. But in Martha, we see the result of works. And we, and we can only assume that she figured that since Jesus was her guest, she had to clean the house and prepare him food and serve him, and that's all well and good. But, but in her busyness, what, what happened? Well, two things. First of all, she became annoyed and troubled that Mary wasn't helping her. She figured that Mary should be serving Jesus in the same way that she was. And this is often what legalism does to us. It causes us to be judgmental, to point the finger at others, to measure ourselves up with others, to assume that because we're doing the right thing and because we're living the right way, that therefore others should look and act like us too. Which is certainly the perspective of the the Judaizers uh, within the Galatian churches who looked down on the Gentiles because they didn't look like Jews or act like them. They're saying, you need to look like us. You need to act like us. You see, works righteousness makes us self-centered, egotistical, judgmental, and in the end, just overwhelmed and anxious and burnt out. There's no blessing there, right? It's a curse. And this is where the sober self-reflection needs to come in. Is this you? Are you exhausted or burnt out from serving? Do you look down on other believers or churches who, who don't follow Jesus or follow the rules like you do? Do you feel like you're better than other believers or or critical toward those who don't know certain parts of the Bible or doctrines as well as you do? Do you look with superiority or disapproval on other believers who don't have the same convictions or even passions that you do? Do you feel like you're a better worshiper or more in or, or more in tune with God than that guy in the front, the guy in the row in front of you, because they don't worship the same way you do. Are you are you simply frustrated because because other Christians don't act like you do? If so you're you're kind of being like Martha here. You're placing your confidence in your work and measuring yourself and others by their works, expecting them to look and act like you. But Christianity isn't about controlling people with rules so that we all look and act the same. It's about unity in the Spirit through faith in Christ. It's about joining together in community, not because we look and act the same, but because as, as different as we all are, we've all been saved by faith. And as imperfect as we are, 
And though we're in different places in our faith and learning different things and we have different convictions and passions and, and gifts, as imperfect as we are in our diversity, we make up and grow together into the body of Christ. Look, looking, looking back at the, at the passage with Mary and Martha, instead of getting angry or annoyed at the way Mary was relating to Jesus, Martha probably should have humbled herself and learned from her instead, or at least celebrated that Mary got to sit at the feet of Jesus. In the same way, maybe, maybe instead of getting frustrated with other believers that, that don't have the same convictions or knowledge as us, or are maybe dealing with different sins than us, or who don't have the same passions as us, instead of demanding they change to look like we do, maybe, maybe we should try to learn to celebrate Jesus in them. And in the same vein, maybe we should learn from them and also humbly acknowledge our own shortfalls as well. As Colin Hansen writes in his book, Blind Spots, rather than provoke judgment, your differences should primarily help me test if I'm missing anything about the character of Jesus. By learning to respect how God has gifted others, you'll enjoy God's power at work in your weakness. You'll grow in love and charity even as you deepen your convictions in God's good plan for the church and the world. You'll see that in the body of Christ, the head needs the hands, needs the heart. The Church of Jesus is the only institution equipped in this age of skepticism to enjoy unity and diversity through profligate, never-ending truth and love. We can't do that if all we're focused on is works. But if we realize that we're saved by grace through faith, we can, we can celebrate Jesus and others. We can celebrate our diversity. We can encourage one another. We can lift one another up. So the second and, and more crucial thing that happened to Martha, though, in this, in this story is that because she was distracted by her work, she missed out on Jesus' teaching. And Jesus tells her this. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. And and this is, again, this is where faith begins. At the feet of Jesus. Trusting in him, resting in him, learning from him. But Martha was so busy in her her work that she missed out on the good portion. And in trying to please Jesus, she actually missed out on Jesus. Jesus. And this is what, what happens when we place our re- reliance in our religious works, even, even if we say that it's for God. Right? We try to convince that this is for God, I'm doing all this for God, but really our eyes are on ourselves. We're, we're focused on and worried about what we're doing, what, what we can accomplish, what we have to do, or, or even with what others are doing. And whether we're doubting ourselves in that, or whether we're puffing ourselves up in our works, either way, we, we, we miss out on God. And again, we all have a tendency to be like Martha in this. We, we all do. We all get caught up in the busyness of life with trying our best to, to be moral Christians or, or to work with integrity at our jobs or, or, or to serve at church or to be the best parents or spouses or friends that we can be, right? We, we make sure we read our Bibles every day. You know, th- those are good things. But yet so often we forget to go to Jesus first in those things. 
and trust in him and rely on him in those things. We can become so distracted and busy with our work or with following rules or with our performance that we actually miss out on the blessing of God in all of it. And, and this, this, is, this is the point. Are we called to obey Jesus' commandments? Absolutely. Are, are we called to learn and understand the scriptures? Of course. Are we called to do good works? Yes. But it has to start with sitting at the feet of Jesus, with abiding in Christ, with drawing from his grace, his word, and his spirit to transform us and empower us to do what we're called to do. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 sums us up perfectly when it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So all, all of God's blessings, including good works, Come to us when and only when we sit at the feet of Jesus in faith. When we come before the throne of grace and place our trust, our hope, our assurance in him. So good works come as our spiritual response to grace, but they're never the means of grace. Jesus is. As Philip Graham Reichen writes, Through the old cursed cross, the nations of the world receive Forgiveness for their sins. Through the old cursed cross, we are accepted by God's justifying grace. Through the old cursed cross, we receive the promised Holy Spirit. What was a curse for Christ becomes a blessing to us by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful when we we look to your word and recognize your amazing love for us. That Jesus would lay down his life to become a curse for us at the cross so that we don't have to be burdened with the curse of the law, with with the, the, the curse of our sin, the punishment for our sin the burden of trying and doing. Lord, but we can, we can simply come to you in the name of Jesus through faith. Lord, how amazing is that? Thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done. And Lord, I pray that we can also take this opportunity this morning to recognize when we've neglected to place our faith and our trust in you when we've become so busy, when we've become judgmental, when, when we've become uh, too absorbed in following the rules that we forget to, to turn our hearts and our focus into you. And Lord, I know that we all have a tendency to do that. So Lord, we, we ask for repentance or for forgiveness in that as we come to you with repentance, Lord. We turn our hearts back to you in faith and and we look to you with full assurance, with full hope. Knowing that you've you've accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished. You've, You've given us every spiritual blessing through the cross, Lord. We praise your name.